0: All right, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We're at this section of scripture where all the controversy begins. But we are not uh, approaching this the typical way. We're doing this kind of a, in a somewhat in a different way. But hopefully, um, it will be beneficial. All right, Romans chapter eight. Good, the good thing is, I didn't get a lot of uh, controversial. E- I didn't get emails that were upset about the controversy. Because either one, they didn't understand where we're going. (laughs) Or they're just waiting to where we get to where we're going. And then the controversy will uh, erupt and explode. But what I'm trying to do is build such a foundation that it's going to be very hard to have an argument, especially if you acknowledge what I think the text has already acknowledged. But let's remind ourselves, how many words are we looking at? Six words, very good, all right? And let's let's do this. Find the first word. Make sure you give me the chapter. Well, you know the chapter, Romans 8. Give me the verse where the first word occurs. Verse 29, and what is the first word? Foreknow, or, or foreknow, and that gives us which concept? Foreknowledge, foreknowledge, all right? Second word. Predestination, and where does that, where does predestinate appear? 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinate, all right? right? He did predestinate or predestination, all right? So, what two words do we have so far? Foreknowledge and predestination, all right? Third word, calling. Did someone say calling? I think I heard someone say calling, yes? And what verse does that appear in? Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called, there's called, next, justified, those he called, he justified, all right, next, now please, now I just want to make sure, well, I'm I'm going to already start taking the verses apart, I won't do that, okay, I'm going to stop, stop, don't do that, all right, all right, those he called, he justified, and then he also glorified, and then where's the next word appear? Verse 33, whom shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? All right, and that's the concept of election. All right, these are six words. Every Christian not only should know these six words, but you have to have some kind of understanding of these six words. And guess what? Not uh, not everyone's understanding of these words can be correct because we have massive disagreements about the meaning of these concepts and how these concepts work out. And why are these six words so controversial? What makes these six words so controversial? What makes these six words so controversial? That's not a trick question, right? What makes them so controversial? Controversial. All right. Let me let me try to help you uh, this way. What do these six words deal with? Okay. All right. Let get don't don't give me the words. What are these words? Put the words together. What are they? What are they uh, dealing with? Okay. All right. Now, see if you say God's sovereignty, that's not controversial. There's not a Christian on the planet who won't who will who won't say God is not sovereign. They deal with salvation. Now, why is that controversial? Because when it comes to people's salvation, what do we want to protect at all costs? We draw the line in the sand, we build the wall, we get an army, and we stand guard, and like, you will not cross this line. What's that thing that we want to protect at all costs when it comes to people's salvation? Salvation free will, or choice. And why do we want to protect it? Because we don't want to believe that someone doesn't have a choice in whether to be saved or not saved. We want to believe that everyone has the same ability to be saved. And why do we want to protect that at all costs? Oh, come on, there's there's an obvious reason. Why do we want to protect that at all costs? Because you know people, you have relationships with people, right? Or, or, or do y'all not have relationships with anyone? Or, no, none. Okay. I'm assuming y'all have family, right? Yes, okay, maybe you' all are sitting next in some cases to other people, right? I think you're related to them, right? Okay? It, and guess what happens? When you have other people, guess what? L- listen, and, and, and I know this is going to sound like a crazy, radical concept, but I, I, I stand by it. The, the Christian's belief into and, and, and everything related to salvation only stays true until it's our family member we're talking about. Then the truth of Scripture is, gets kicked into the deepest ocean to never be found again. Why? Because we don't like all, some of the concepts related to salvation when it applies to family members. We haven't, you, don't, you could care less than when I was a teenager, I was standing at a cemetery in Buffalo Gap saying goodbye to my mother. You can say you care, but deep down you don't really care. You don't really care if she went to heaven. You don't really care if you went to hell. Now, I know that sounds mean, but I'm not saying it in a mean way. I'm saying deep down, you it's not like you're crying about it. You're not emotional about it. You don't care, right? So you're like, well, he could say she went to heaven. He could say she went to hell. It doesn't matter to me. But when it's you, right, standing there at a gravesite, now you care. Now your belief about heaven and hell just became what? There we go. It went from theoretical to personal. And when it becomes personal, what's always the danger when it becomes personal? What's the big word that arises to the forefront? Emotion. And how well does emotion and theology work? Does not work. Theology does theology care about your emotions? No. I hate to say that, it doesn't. Or, or put it another does truth care about your emotions? No. I mean, I had to wa- watch it in the medical world all the time, right? You walk in, here's the diagnosis, you got terminal cancer, you feel bad for them, but that you don't change the diagnosis because of their emotion. You're like, well, this is going to make them emotional, let's just not tell them they have terminal cancer. You know, okay, deal? All right, all right let's, okay, let's all work together. Okay? We're, gonna, we're not going to tell them. All right, go. No, no we don't we, we don't do that in the medical world. You go in, you tell they get emotional, but guess what? Their emotions don't change the truth. That is the unpleasant that is an unpleasant thing of Christianity. Christianity gives you a a, a system of truth that your emotions can't change. And sometimes we don't like what it says, right? Look, I did not I don't I'm going to be honest. I, look what I mean, we all know what happened to me. I stood there at the grave of my mother. And then what was it? That was, I think, October. But November, I don't know how many 20 miles that way, in the middle of nowhere, on a, what, a 3,000-acre ranch. I'm kneeling on the floor with a three fifty seven in my hand, getting ready to put a bullet in my head because I can't handle the, the truth anymore. I was going to kill myself because, because this wasn't bringing comfort. There's nothing comforting when you deal with salvation. Salvation is comforting when you have it and it's about you. Or if you convince yourself that everyone you know has it. It's not comforting for the people who don't. Like when my sister passes away. I don't know when it's going to be, considering her drug use. I don't know when it's going to be. But when she goes, I mean, she's a self-professed atheist. Now, do I convince myself otherwise? Now, what's the truth of Scripture going to tell me? Right. Exactly. Do I like it? Okay, obviously everyone should say, I don't like it. Obviously, I don't like it. That's a rhetorical question, right? Okay, I don't like it. Now, the point is, truth is not determined by what we like. That's the hardest thing. So when it comes to this subject, you see why it's so controversial. Eh? Because they, you're dealing with wait wait a minute God makes a choice God predestined God elects God no 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 and so I'll never forget and the first the first time I got in trouble with this in, in Christianity was when I was a student at a Bible Institute it's it, there's video of it it's Becca's first birthday I'm there with all the men of the Bible Institute you can hear us in the background there's books everywhere and I'm like hey do you, this doctrine of predestination election I'm I'm trying to figure this out. They go, oh, they lose it. They immediately leave the birthday party, call the pastor. Next thing you know, I'm called to the pastor's office. I walk in, there's the men who were at the birthday party. And I'm like, they're like, you're a Calvinist. We can't accept that. Boom, you're kicked out of the Bible Institute. And, and, and the conversation, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I think you're misunderstanding Calvinism. I think you're misrepresenting this. That's not what it's saying. And because I tried to defend the correct teaching, that even made them more upset. And then I'll never forget how the conversation ended pastor got all serious got that little you know kind of choke up choked up sound in the voice right he's like what if your daughter is not one of the elect so guess what he was trying to play on play emotions, emotions. you know and i mean you know what i said the doctrine of election could care less if my daughter is one of the elect if that i don't change my view on that do- what's the question is the doctrine true or false? That's the, that's the thing. Does you understand? So that's why, I just want to make sure you understand why it's so controversial is because emotions get involved. Emotions get involved. Does that make sense? I know that's not, that really wasn't a part of the sermon today, but I think that's, a, that's just, that's a, look, that's, that's worth more than anything I can preach. Whenever you pick up the Bible, guess what you're going to find? Scripture that you don't like. You know, what, you know what makes me mad? I don't know what makes you mad. When I read Genesis and some snake sneaks into the garden, I get kind of ticked off when I find out that that's Satan. You know why I get ticked off? Because who created him? Who let him in? Who could get rid of him? Who, d- who didn't get rid of him? Who's still roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Satan. Why is he still roaming about? God. Do I like that? No. Now, I have a choice, right? I could say, well, then I just don't believe it. But I, don't, I can't choose to believe or don't believe. Why, why do I, and, that, that, and it makes me, because we live in a culture where the, where the emotions are trump, trump everything else. So guess what? If you're LGBTQ, uh, homosexual, any of, any of the things going on in our culture, well, well the Bible's mean. The Bible, well, guess what? You think the Bible's mean to you? The Bible's mean to me. Okay? <laughs> it's like, like the homosexuals work. The Bible's so mean. And you don't think it's mean to me? Okay, it, It's mean to all of us because you know what? Whenever we read the Bible, guess who is condemned? All of us, okay? It's not like the Bible just picks on the, the people who, who want relations of people of the same gender. That, it, the Bible condemns everything, right? What is not condemned in the Bible? Pride. Is it condemned? Yes. Is uh, gluttony condemned? Yes. I mean, we can go on. Is slothfulness condemned? Yes. I mean, it can go on and 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 on. So it's mean to everyone in that sense. So if we're going to start with that, we're going to start down that path. Okay, you want to change the passages about homosexuality? Well, slow down, because I'm way ahead of you. There's some passages I want to change. Right? So when we come to this subject, you've got to change your way of thinking. It's great when it's in theory, but when it hits close to home, guess what you'll have a tendency to do with that theory? Get rid of it. Does that make sense? I, that, that is such an important principle because so, I, I, we, we want a Christianity that makes us feel good, but it doesn't always make us feel good. I, I've, been, I've been a Christian for too long to have to deal with too many situations where it did not feel good. It did not feel good standing there at that gravesite in Buffalo Gap. It did not. I, I had to process it. I had to try, what do I do with this? I didn't process it really well, okay? Obviously, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital for eight weeks. Obviously, I wasn't processing it really well. And people are like, well, Christianity should have made it all better. It didn't make it all better. And guess who definitely did not make it better? Christians definitely did not make it better. I would have preferred that to have never had a Christian ever speak to me ever again by the time that situation was over, okay? The people who, actually, the people who made it better were atheists, and people. those people made it better because they weren't saying foolish, ridiculous things. Because sometimes, in those situations, words can't fix it. So, it it, it drove me crazy. So, I just want to make sure we realize we're dealing with something that's going to be very controversial from that aspect of it. Does that make sense? All you can do is you can't allow your emotion, emotions do not determine truth. Emotions do not interpret truth and truth cannot be interpreted through emotion. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I know that that's not quite the direction I wanted to go, but I think it's very important. So, how are we approaching this? How are we approaching the six words, if you remember? What did we do? We, uh, we are interpreting the six words in light of two important concepts that come before the six words, right? So, before we get to the controversy, we're looking at two words that should Generate the actual controversy. What are those two concepts that come before the six words? Okay, God's sovereignty and providence, but if we take it specifically from the text, two things happen. What's the first thing God does in the verses prior that should create everyone, to make everyone mad? He subjected all of creation to vanity. To vanity. What pat what verse is that? Romans chapter 8, verse? Everybody see it? Yes? I was hoping everyone was going to answer. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity. And what's the key thing about this? Not willingly. Creation didn't have a choice in being subjected to vanity. All of creation is subjected to vanity. Every person who is born is subjected to this meaningless, this vanity, whether you like it or not. Is every person born a sinner? Yes, if we believe that, does does the person get a choice? If I could have chosen, I would have chosen not to be born a sinner. Anybody else agree? If it was up to me, I would choose just to never sin again. Agreed, right? But we we're all subjected to it. If it was up to me, the world would not be subjected to vanity, and I wouldn't see pandemics, famine, war, poverty, racism. Just name every other problem that's ever happened on the planet. Would, would you, don't you all want it to go away? Has all the people willing these things to go away fixed it? Because it's all been subjected to vanity... By, by God, not willingly. Does everybody understand that important concept? But he subjected it in what way? And hope, which indicates something. How could he subject it to vanity and hope? Because he's got a purpose in it, which demonstrates some kind of sovereignty, some kind of providence, and some kind of control. Because if he, when did he subject it to vanity? thousands and thousands of years ago but he did so in hope knowing that somehow there's going to be hope that arises something good is going to arise from all of this that is God having to be in charge well what's the other concept what's the other concept okay well the other remember the other verse He subjected, Romans 8.20, he subjected it in vanity. And one other very important verse, verse 28. We know all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. What things is he referring to? All of the groaning and the suffering and all of that is working out for good. Now, how can that happen? How can all of that suffering work out for good? Just thinking caps on. How can all of the groaning and suffering that precedes those verses? Remember we talked about the groaning of creation, the groaning of of the individual. Remember we talked about all the groanings, right? Someone has to be working it. There's got to be an external source controlling it, which shows what? Providence, sovereignty, control. Does everybody remember all of that? If, everyone loves that idea that all things work together for good everyone says amen to that but for that to work requires what? something, something powerful controlling, guiding and directing All right. let me give you an example I did a, a small devotional on this the other day I think yesterday I recorded it um, when I, I was reading uh, in Genesis chapter 42 and Jacob was like hey, there's corn in Egypt go get some or we're all going to die that's just an easy verse that you don't even think about and you read right past it. But when I read it the other night, it was like it jumped off the page and slapped me in the face. I'm like, well, of course there's corn in Egypt. But what was required for that corn to be in Egypt? See, well, see all the things that required for, for corn to ultimately end up in Egypt, what had to happen? Let's go through this. You see, a, a, a bunch of brothers hated their one brother to the point of, the, well, they were going to kill him, but they decided to sell him into slavery. slavery. He's a slave... He gets falsely accused, ends up in prison, gets forgotten in prison for two years, then ultimately he gets taken out of prison, and he has then he's given the ability to interpret a dream, right? And then he, he's able to say, hey, seven years is going to be plenty. Seven years is going to be bling, so we need to save up all the corn. So that and so and then he gets put in charge of everything, right? But all for that good to happen, a lot of bad things... God, so God, and, and what do we all... Remember the famous passage? What you meant for evil. And we all say amen to that. Like it's a wonderful concept. But for that to happen, what has to be occurring? Well, God has to be working over it and through it and in it. And this part, overcoming what, what people meant it for evil and God overcame what they willed for his purpose. So what's happening? God's we like God's sovereignty and some of these... We, do we like the first part of God's sovereignty that he subjected it all in vanity? No, we don't like that. But we like that all things work together for good. But the only thing, the way all things work together for good is God has to be overriding what people want and intend. Does that make sense? So this, this led us to the doctrine of God's, what? Providence. And there, there we're using Gridham. Oh, man, I know we spent so much time on review here, but that's okay. All right. So let's go through this quickly and see how, how uh, qu- quickly we can uh, get on the same page. All right. See here. I need page 318. Here we go. All right. Uh, what was the definition we gave for God's providence? Okay, well, that was a simple one. Remember, Let me remind you. We may define God's providence as follows. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that, number one, he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Number two, cooperates with created things in every action directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And number three, he directs them to fulfill his purpose. Whose purpose? His, which overrides what? Our will, our will and our purpose. Now, remember, see why, see why I'm going through all of this? When we get to these six words, are they going to be controversial? Not if we look at all of these other concepts, right? So does anybody need me to repeat that definition? All right, we all got it? All right. Uh, when we talk about the general category of providence, remember there were three subtopics? Preservation, concurrence, and government. All right, everybody remember all of those? We talked about preservation. Yes? Preservation is God keeps all created things and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Everybody remember that? I gave you some scriptures about preservation. Hebrews 1.3, three, Right? Does everybody remember that one? Okay. Did I give you another one? Okay, Colossians 1, 16, 17. Okay, everybody got that? What's the main thing we take away from that? Who's keeping everything together? God, who's, who's uh, maintaining everything? God, all right. Does everybody re- re- remember that? All right, then we talked about concurrence. Yes? Did we? All right, concurrence. Let's talk about concurrence then. All right. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. Now, just make sure you know that within theology, some people do not separate God's providence into preservation and concurrence, they take concurrence and preservation and put them together. I think, that's, if I, I think Calvin did that. So not everyone separates them. We are separating them. They're very much linked together, but I want you to just see these principles, all right? So first, preservation. Everybody got that? If you need me to repeat it, do not apologize. Ask to repeat it. Now, when we're here at 2 in the afternoon, because you keep asking me to repeat it, everyone else can get mad at you and not me. Okay, no. Everybody got it? And then we're down to concurrence, okay? Now, again, what's concurrence? Go back to your definition of of, uh, providence and you'll have it. Concurrence is God cooperates with created things and every action directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. See your definition of providence? There you have it. See how this works? Okay, all right. Everybody good? All right, now... Go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Ephesians 1:11. Ephesians 1:11. Everybody there? Ephesians 1, 11 All right, now you know what I like to do. I don't like to preach to you. I like to make you do the work, right? So everyone read verse 11 on their own. I'm, I'll read it because we have people listening online. I mean, they could open up their own Bibles, but Ephesians 1.11 in case they're driving. And whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purposes of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Someone tell me what that means. Now, there's, there's one of our six words, right? See one of our six words there? Okay. But ignore predestination. What's the main takeaway from that verse? Okay. There, this verse establishes a couple of things. First, that God has a purpose, right? Would everyone agree that that establishes that principle? Yes? God has a purpose. Yes? Who works everything according to his purpose? God has a purpose, and God works everything according to his purpose. Now, that sounds great in theory, right? Everyone loves that theory. Does, that, does everyone like that theory in practice? No, we don't, because that raises some deep philosophical questions that I'm not ready to deal with. And I know, you know, but no, but no pastors want to deal with it from behind the pulpit because it can really upset some people. But there's a lot that goes into that. All right. So God has a purpose. Everyone can say amen to that. Right. OK. But he works everything according to that purpose. So, what do we do when things happen in, war, in, in life that seem horrible and tragic and we don't like it? What, was the, what would be the Christian answer? Nobody wants to say that. I think Emma knows where that would lead. I could walk around college campus and talk to some people who've gone through some really messed up stuff. Do I want to just slap them on the back and go, "Hey, according to God's purpose"? That, that doesn't sound so good. I, I went through some. I, I could tell some stories of things I experienced as a child. Not good. Mr. Goodlet told me some things that happened to him. Man, not hard to even understand some of the things he experienced. Right? Not good. But. From a theological perspective, what are we being being told? God works everything according to what? His purpose after the counsel of his own will. What are the two driving things there? God has a purpose, God has a will. God has a purpose, God has a will, and he works everything for his purpose and his will. Whose will doesn't come into play there? Our will. In fact, if God is working everything for his purpose and his will, can he do that with still maintaining, quote-unquote, your free will? Obviously not. Did Joseph have free will and what happened to him? No, but who worked it? For what purpose? Could, Could God have found a better way to preserve Jacob and Israel with corn? Yeah, he could have, because I, I was reading a devotional like, see, this is so amazing how God provides for his elect people, Israel. Well, yes, it is wonderful that God provided, but why did he have to use Joseph and that suffering to bring it about? He could have found a way to say, you know what? Hey guys, you're not going to sell your brother into slavery. This is not, you're not going to get falsely accused. You're not going to be in prison for two years. I can ensure that Jacob and the family has food. <laughs> yeah, it literally puts them in Egypt for 400. That's the whole reason they end up there in the first place, okay? Like, so you could go like, why, why did they end Like, he could have kept them out of Egypt. Remember, he gave them other land. He could have kept them in the other land, right? But he told Abraham exactly what was going to happen. How did he know what was going to happen? has a purpose and will. Does that purpose and will always correspond to what we think is right, just, fair, equal? No, it does not. And do I ever, I cannot understand it. Look, I just want to make it very clear. I've said it before. Christianity will not survive in a philosophy classroom. Because they're gonna elect. That's the most twisted philosophy I've ever heard in my life. That is evil, twisted, messed up, psychotic, crazy, insane. It does not, wor- it does not satisfy any basic philosophical question because you have a God working things out in a way that it, at times is to what we would call from a human perspective, the detriment to human thriving. Right? I mean, sometimes it involves actual suffering for God's purpose. That seems messed up. Yes? Nobody likes to talk about that from the pulpit. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to say, no, come to God and everything makes sense and and there's rainbows and unicorns and butterflies and we're all singing Kumbaya and drinking a Coke and having a smile and, you know, we're going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. We get the golden ticket and everything's wonderful. Okay, It just doesn't work out that way, does it? Right? Okay. So, a couple of, things, a couple of comments that uh, Grudem has to say in regards to this verse. In Ephesians one eleven, Paul says that God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. He argues that the word translated accomplishes indicates that God's work, it indicates that God works or brings about all things according to his own will. No, now, listen to, to this. No event. I keep doing that. I get excited and I grab the iPad and then um, it changes pages on me. All right. Now, here we go. All right. Here we go. If I would just not pick up the iPad, I'd be okay. All right. Here we go. The word translated accomplish indicates that God works or brings about all things according to his will. Everybody got thinking caps on? No event. In creation falls outside of his providence. No event in creation falls outside of his providence. Does that do you like that or dislike that? Now remember, in this church, you don't have to give me the church answer. In the church, in most churches, what would you supposed to say right here? Hey man, that's so beautiful, so comforting, Pastor. I I don't always find that to be beautiful or comforting. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a pastor, but I don't always find that beautiful or comforting. Why? Do what? War? Okay. I'm going to just be very. I'm going to put it in a much more personal, personal way. Um, being tied up and burn with a curling iron? Not a wonderful experience. Beat with an electric cord? Not not a wonderful experience. For my mother to call me in a room, stick a gun to her head and say I'm going to kill myself and it's your fault? Not a wonderful experience. That, that puts those words in a whole different context, right? It's all great when we're talking about something else. That's not easy for me to deal with. I'm just going to be honest. It's not easy for me to deal with. I know this. Is, I mean, you're like, man, this is uncomfortable. Well, do, we're, do, there's no comfortable way to talk about this. There's nothing comfortable to talk about this. What did he just say? All right, no event. Did I just describe some events? So they're not outside of what? what now, what, how do Christians usually handle those, some of those horrible situations I just described? What do you think Christians typically tell other people who go through something like that? Come on, we, you're all Christians. You've probably given some of these really bad answers as well. God had nothing to do with what happened to you. Okay, uh, well, no, no, I know we don't believe that. I'm saying what other Christians would say. Who, so they put the blame where? Ah, Satan. Isn't he a wonderful way to get around everything? Satan's a way to get around everything. Right? Satan did it. That had nothing to do with God. Are we sure? Because even if I put it on Satan, who created Satan? Who's allowing Satan to roam about? <laughs> There's no way out of this, right? Now, I know people listening to this like, man, he's going to talk them out of Christianity. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of Christianity. I'm trying to deal with the reality of Christianity. And we can't, we can't hide the reality of Christianity to make everyone feel better. We've got to deal with it. If I throw God out of it, what am I left with? Now, now let's go the other opposite. Let's say that the, that verse, the, what, that the definition we just read, that not, no event is outside of God's providence, let's reject that. What would you put in its place? Let's reject forget God, what would we put in its place? Well, if there's no God, let's go full-blown atheism, then There is no purpose or meaning in what I suffered. I suffered it? There's other people, you know? I'm I'm pretty sure the the Danzler's kids never had to go through any of those things, right? I mean, you're like, you know, I don't know what what kind of, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood y'all grew up in. But it was some, you know, I, don't, I can't even understand what that nonsense was, right? Okay? And they, and they probably still said, my life was so hard. It was so hard being brought up in a horrible family. Right? Okay, they probably have their whining and complaining about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? Right? And now, why did they get that and I didn't? Well, from, if I remove God... Not only is just a random luck of the draw, makes me want to punch then Joel in the face three times, like why did he get that and I didn't, right? Like that's not fair, okay? Or, not only is there no, not it's just random luck of the draw, there's no purpose. There's no meaning. Other than the purpose and meaning, I try to assign to it. Well, you know, well, I can understand other people's suffering. Ooh, ooh that makes me feel so, that, wonderful, thank you. I, I'm glad I can understand other people's suffering. That, that's not much uh, help. If there's God, there's some purpose that what? Beyond, I don't understand it, I may never understand. Does, does God, did God tell Job why? Always remember how that story ended. <laughs> right? That story ended. Everyone, everyone focuses on, well, Job got more this than he got more of this. He didn't get his original kids back. Everybody remember that? Okay, well, everyone, tends to, everyone just forgets the original kids. Like, well, you know, he got new kids. That, that makes up for it. It doesn't make up for it. Everyone agree? Okay, and what else did he never get? That is so messed up. Yeah. Who are you to, who are you to question me? Where were you when I created everything? And what did Job ultimately do? Sometimes I tell, people ask, "Well why did what happened to you?" I, I don't can't say. that you see where you see where your emotion can fight against this? You see where my emotions can rise up and I don't like God's providence, but I know that if I reject God's providence, guess what's not going to change. I still was going to suffer. I guess, I guess, it, I guess what—if you hold on to God's providence, it can make you. If you're not careful, it can make you bitter and angry at what God did to you. It can create that, and I think every person who's ever gone through a tragedy, sometimes you want to go, God, why did you do that? It—I can understand. And if you throw out God, well, then who? You got no one to blame, <laughs> right? You may be able to blame. I can blame my parents. I can blame, but. You know, ultimately, that's not satisfying. Like, that, that anger doesn't last. I mean, that, that anger just will eat you away. At least with this, I don't understand why God does what he does, but at least I know that there's something going on beyond my control. Right? Yes? Think about it this way. It's bigger than me. That's, it's bigger than me. Does that make sense? All right. So, let me read this again. Ephesians 1.11 God uh, but Paul says that God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. The word translated accomplishes indicates that God's work that God's works or brings about all things according to his own will. No event in creation falls outside of his providence. Of course this fact is hidden from our eyes unless we read it in the scripture. Like preservation, God works of God's work of concurrence is not cl- clearly evident. From observation of the natural world around us. Does everybody hear that? What is not observable to us? Two things are not observable to us. Preservation and concurrence. We, don't, we can't see it happening, right? Can I see God upholding everything? Maintaining everything? No. No. Can I see God working in everything, through everything, for his purpose and what I cannot see it. Scripture reveals it. And guess what? When Scripture reveals it, does it reveal it in taking into consideration what you've gone through? No, it doesn't. All right? Now, we're going to have to stop right there. We didn't get very far. That's okay. All right. So, what are some takeaways we can take away from this morning? All right? The big takeaway. I want you to write that Ephesians 1, 11 down. I want you to write that down. I want you to just, not only, it's easy, it's, nobody has a problem with God upholding everything, right? Does anybody have a problem with that? No, because you're living, right? God is not upholding everything. The world doesn't exist, right? So everyone loves that. Concurrence, everyone has a problem with. And we have a problem with concurrence because that is God doing what? Working in and through everything for his purpose and his will. There we have a problem. So, what's our big, uh, just a couple of big takeaways. First big takeaway this morning, and and, and I'm going to say this a lot through this series, um, is this. Emotion does not determine truth, and you cannot interpret truth through emotion. Right? What does not determine truth? Emotion. What can you not interpret truth through? Emotion. Truth has to stand outside of it. Are we ever? Are we perfect at doing that? No. Okay, no, no. None of us are. None of us are. None. Okay? We all experience something and then when we are emotions, we interpret things through that emotion, right? We get upset. We, sometimes we make decisions based off an emotion, That's not, sometimes we don't even take into account any spiritual considerations. We get emotional like this is what I'm going to do and we don't even think of the spiritual consequences of it. We we, we tend to really mess up truth that way. All right, that's very important. Number two, this is very important. God has a purpose and a will. God has a purpose and a will. I know you're thinking, I didn't need to come to church to hear that. Oh, yes, you did. God has a purpose and a will. Why is that significant? What is significant about that truth? There we go. God's purpose and God's will trumps what? Our purpose and our will. I know we don't like that, but it's true. And number three, God works in everything and through everything to fulfill that purpose and that will. All right, everybody got that? You see why I'm, I'm, you see, does everyone understand why I'm doing it? I know you're thinking, man, no one's ever preached Romans 8, these six words this way. No one ever preaches Romans 8, these six words this way. And I think by doing that, it's detrimental. Because what happens, you get into the controversy about predestination, election, and everyone starts arguing about that. You got to deal with some deeper issues that the text has already given us. That providence that we just talked about, Preservation and concurrence. Do, they, do you see the reality of those two things in those two passages in Romans 8? He subjected uh, all of creation to vanity and hope. What does that give us? That gives both preservation and concurrence, right? Yes? I mean, he obviously didn't destroy all of creation, right? Okay, uh, he, uh, he's working all things... Uh, for good. All things work together for good. For them who love God and are called according to his purpose. What's, what's required for all things to work together for, for whatever good that is? Concurrence, right? God's got to work in and through everything. Again, there's corn in Egypt. That's what I just wrote in my devotional uh, journal. I just put corn in Egypt. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. But for that corn to get there, God was working through some of the most tragic, difficult situations. Now, here's the thing. I'll end with this. You ready? All right? For corn to be in Egypt, God worked all things together ultimately for that purpose. Yes? But it required an individual to suffer for that to happen. Your level of commitment to Christ is determined by how willing you are to suffer for God's ultimate purpose. It's easy to say I'm committed to God for God to work all things together for my good where I don't suffer. But what if God's good requires your suffering? Are you still committed? Or do you want out? Joseph seemed to almost celebrate the fact that, hey, what, all these things you meant for bad? God worked him for good. He seemed to accept it. I don't know if Job was so as accepting. Do you see Job as, as accepting? I mean, he did a lot of being upset, did he not? At the end, you don't really see him going like, hey, you know what, all of this suffering. He just seemed to be like, I'm just not, I don't get it. I don't, he's just not going to talk, right? Now, he never did what? He didn't sin. That means there's a lot of complaining you can do that doesn't equal sinning. There's a lot of frustration you can have that doesn't equal sinning. There's a lot of questions you can ask that doesn't equal sin. A lot of times Christians are like, any upset, any anger, any bitterness means you've sinned. That doesn't mean you've sinned because there's a lot you can, Job did a lot. I mean, he wished he was never born. If you say that in church today, people are like, oh, where's your faith? Well, I'll, I'll put myself with Job, who was a perfect man right and how he's described so I, I just I think that's an important question when, when here we, we talk about god's purpose and God's will it's all wonderful until that purpose and will requires us to maybe suffer and then we don't want the suffering do we well are we what are we more committed to you can write this down are you more committed to God's purpose and God's will or your pleasure and your fulfillment I don't know about you. You know what I tend to be more committed to? My pleasure, my fulfillment. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I sometimes am more committed to that. Right? And, and, and guess what? Christians make decisions all the time to, to, to go with what benefits them and not thinking, well, what's God's greater purpose and God's greater will? I'm going to go here. I'm going to go this because this is what I want. This is what I need. Well, wait a minute. What about God's purpose and God's will? I think it's very important. All right, we'll stop right there. That's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy stuff. I know it's uh, going to offend a lot of people online, but hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, Sarah will be ready to email a lot of people back. Okay, and she can sign it the Pope at the end, and then and she can say this has magisterial authority. She can put her seal, stamp her seal on it right the papal seal and then nobody can argue okay do you think that will work okay probably not okay that was a good try right i mean i mean how 2020 how 2021 of us to have a female pope we were we we're, we were a way ahead of everyone else okay all right. we're very progressive it's a joke for people listening online it's a joke we don't actually have a pope okay all right so all right let's pray lord god we come before you lord this is some emotional stuff it's not easy stuff to talk about or even to consider. Um, but Lord, if we're not willing to deal with this truth in a very upfront and emotional way, then there really is no point in doing this other than just to play church and pretend that we're having a sermon and we all sit here and smile and say good sermon pastor and everybody goes home and eats lunch and forgets any, anything that was said. I don't like playing church or pretending. If we're going to be church, we need to deal with these scriptures. And they're not easy. They're painful. They're hard. Everyone in this room has experienced tragedy in their life of all sorts. Everyone here has a story to tell. And it's hard to wrap that suffering with your purpose and your will. I don't always, I do not have the answers. And I never try to offer empty words because it's not easy. It's something each person has to struggle with, wrestle with. We have to wrestle with you and just always realize that ultimately your purpose and will will always, always be fulfilled. And we just ask that you make us more willing for that purpose and that will than what we want and what we feel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And guys, people said...